Hey friends, thank you for joining us today, wherever you are at. Um, we've got lots of things that are going on here during the week, ways to get connected. So make sure to check out uh, our website. Um, you can find all the things, events, classes, groups that are going on so that you can connect here with our church family. Also, be sure to like and subscribe on this video so that you can get more content as we bring stuff out. We hope today you enjoy this message. so good already. <laughs> uh, if we haven't met, my name is Mariana and I'm part of the teaching team here at Christ Community and I have the joy to come and bring the message tonight. Um, one thing that is important for you to know about me is that um, I love parties. <laughs> okay, I love, I think parties are fabulous. And growing up, you know, like if it's wedding, graduation, school party, holidays, it doesn't matter what party, if there's a gathering of people, I'm there. Because if there's a party, that means usually, you know, there's something to celebrate. And that fills my heart. I love that, you know, joy in the air and a reason to commemorate whatever it is. And you gathering with other people expressing your love, you know, and your gratitude. And, you know, being from Brazil, uh, parties were a very big deal there. You know, if you like signal that there's a party coming up, everybody shows up and there's a lot of food and there's a lot of people and the parties last for very long. And one of my sweetest memories of parties were my birthday parties. And I probably have told this story so many times because it's true, I loved my birthday parties. And we had this tradition that my mom would make, you know, the decorations and, and blow up balloons and all that stuff and make the food. And it was the season of a couple months leading up to the birthday party. And I had an aunt and uncle and cousins that lived across the hallway. We were in this apartment uh, complex and then they, this apartment building and they would come you know, at night, my aunt that came from out of town. So it was all this family that would come and help blow up the balloons. And it was this thing, it was like the ceremony of the balloons because we would all be sitting there, all these kids and aunts and parents and grandparents, and we're all, you know, just blowing up the balloons and we would fill up the living room with all of those balloons. It was like an ocean and, you know, the kids would trap the balloons with the couches and it'd be like a balloon pit that you can jump over and and that was the pre-party okay because then the actual party was the next day I'd go to sleep and my mom would put up the balloons all over the wall and it was incredible so today for me up till this day if there's a birthday party there will be balloons I will bring the balloons because there's so much joy that that ritual brings to my heart now, here's the thing about God. There's so many incredible things about God that it's very hard to narrow down what's your favorite. But this has to be on my top three. That out of all the things that God commanded his people to do, party was actually one of them. Like culture aside, personality aside, personal preferences aside, God actually called his people to regularly and annually 
gather together and throw a celebration party. And in these times, and we have been listening about a lot of these feasts, they were called, they were called the feasts of the Lord, and we've been learning a lot about them through the book of John. These were times where people would come together and look back at all the things that God had done and celebrate it, but also look forward in anticipation for it. Uh, and I was reading this article a couple months ago that I thought was so interesting. It said, the Bible uh, has a clear and consistent party theology, making exactly this point that the parties of the Lord, the feasts were a sacrament. And, uh, but with the heaviness of life and our you know, busyness and you know, our capacity, we don't have time capacity, we don't have heart capacity to, to celebrate. And this writer of this article was questioning, could it be that we have lost something so vital that God wants for his people? to remember, to celebrate together. In our passage today, we find ourselves now in John chapter 12, and this is a wonderful feast going on here. It's in the middle of a celebration. Um, let's start on, let's read. It's John 12, starting in verse 12. Uh, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival uh, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid. Daughter Zion, see, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is our story for today. It's a very familiar one. If you've been around the church for a while, it's what we call the triumphal entry. It's when, it's when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and it's the passage that we read every year, a week before Easter, when the kids will wave the palm branches in remembrance of this very event. So it's Passover time. It's a massive crowd that comes to Jerusalem. Uh, and we hear here, right before this uh, event, above on verse 11, that because of Lazarus, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing him. Uh, and so there's this, this gathering of people that, that had been hearing of what Jesus had been saying and doing, and now they're all here gathered together and they see Jesus coming. It's this culmination of all things, all um, the, the anticipation, right? Is this the Messiah? Is this our coming King? Is this the fulfillment of the prophecies? And so they come to Jerusalem and they hear, Jesus is coming too. And so they're waiting and they see Jesus coming and they run toward him and they start doing what? Celebrating. So uh, this being Passover, I just want to take a moment to highlight a few things of what uh, Passover is all about. So a little, little recap for us tonight. Uh, during Passover, they were here celebrating what? When God delivered them for, uh, from 400 years of slavery that they had experienced in Egypt centuries back, right? So he here's going to be our, our Passover site. So they're here celebrating um, 
this, this freedom from their bondage because they put the, the blood of the lamb over their doorposts so the angel of death passed over their houses and they were freed and that's what uh, Passover is all about. However, even though it's a positive celebration, uh, the actual rituals of Passover were reminders of the pain and the struggle that they had endured during their times uh, in slavery. During Passover, what did they eat? They had uh, bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness and the suffering of slavery. They would eat unleavened bread, which was the bread of affliction because they had to leave Egypt in such a hurry that they didn't have time for their breads uh, to rise. And each family would uh, sacrifice a lamb. They would collectively be sacrificing these animals. And if you imagine the hundreds of thousands of people and the hundreds of thousands of animals that were being killed, it was like this big funeral and this big death occurring that reminded them also of the death that happened during that night when they were released uh, from bondage. So it was this whole week that they stopped working to be uh, just reminiscing about that dark time, that dark season that they came from, that dark night that they experienced before they were released. They took the time to remember and sit in that suffering that preceded their victory. And that is the context of our story today. This, all of this, is what the people were doing or preparing to do. That was their heart posture when Jesus arrived uh, in Jerusalem that day. And in the middle of this remembrance of their uh, bondage and slavery, they see Jesus and they took the palm branches in verse 13 we read, they took the palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They start praising Jesus. They're celebrating publicly these people that were once wondering, he is our King. And they were shouting and they were waving those branches. Now this scene is so so loaded with meetings, meanings. I literally spent so many weeks reading about just palm branches that it's overwhelming. If you're interested in, in nerding out about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. But we're going to skip over that for tonight because I believe that John in particular, he has, uh, we have been getting to know John, right? It's fun to see the different accounts of the Gospels. And, and John, he has this, this poetic way that he's connecting the prophecies in the Old Testament and he's trying to reveal who Jesus is. So I think he's a lot less about, you know, all the political things going on here, which are still true. And again, I'd love if you want to go home and research about all of that. So uh, tonight, we're not going to focus on the political tension between Rome and Jews, but we're going to try to dig in into what John is trying to poetically show us uh, through his account of this story. So John, if you compare the four of them, I thought that was very cool that we assume they all say palm branches. John is actually the only one that specifies that it was palm branches. All the other guys just said branches. It's like, hey, okay, what is John trying to say uh, through the fact that these were palm branches? Well, palm branches 
were very familiar, a very, they were a very familiar element of a feast of the Lord, but that was not Passover. <laughs> the palm branches, they were a daily used element of a feast, but that was the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also called Feast of Booths, depending on your translation there. You can hear both. So let's go over here right now and talk about our feast number two, that is the Feast of Passover, uh, I'm sorry, the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of, of Tabernacles uh, was the time where, again, little recap, they would set up the tents and celebrate the time that God provided for them through their 40 years in the desert, right? The most unlikely place for them to survive, but God provided for them. And the Feast of Tabernacles was that reminder uh, that they would put up the tents and remember uh, God's provision during that time and toward the fulfilling, the fulfillment of his promise. Now, among the celebrations here that happened during this Feast of Tabernacles, God commanded them in Leviticus 23, 40, we read, Now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. This is the command for the Feast of Tabernacles. Does that sound familiar? Take the palm branch and rejoice before the Lord. The Feast of Tabernacles was the most joyful of all the feasts. It has to be my favorite. I really like the Feast of Tabernacles. The description, they actually, the uh, Jewish literature said that if you haven't seen these rituals that happened in the Feast of Tabernacles, you haven't seen joy in your life. That's how joyful it was for seven days. It's, it's also known as the season of joy, the season of joy. That's how joyful it was. And the Levites, which were their worship leaders, they would play the trumpets and harps and, you know, music music and symbols and people would dance and sing and they would have those branches in a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude for an entire week that they set aside for that. And while they were doing all of this, they would sing psalms because the, the book of psalms were like their hymnals. And for the Feast of Tabernacles, they sang a particular psalm that was Psalm 118. Would you like to see what Psalm 118 says? Here it goes. Verse 25, it says, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, save us is another way of saying Hosanna. What did the crowd sing in John when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is the exact song that they sang every single day in the Feast of Tabernacles while waving the palm branches. That's what happens when Jesus comes in Jerusalem. You're probably wondering, why does this all matter? Because it's not Feast of Tabernacles. And yet, what we see happening here when Jesus comes to Jerusalem is a perfect representation of their celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, while they were here dancing and waving palm branches and celebrating and singing, 
That was the, during the time when the priests would be pouring the water upon the altar, representing the coming of the Lord. These feasts were also called rehearsals. They were here doing this, rehearsing for the time of the promise when the Lord would come, when the Lord would come and they would dance and they would wave palm branches. So then back in John, when they see Jesus coming, they're like, hey, we've been rehearsing for this time. We know exactly what to do. Every morning, they practiced this on the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a daily ritual. They knew what to do. They had their eyes fixed on this promise. But as I said, this is not, this is not a time of tabernacles. This was a time of Passover. So what is happening here? When we start digging into this passage, it's actually funny because some scholars will say, no, this was not during Passover. This was during the tabernacles because look at all the evidence. That's how much evidence there is, except they spell out that it's Passover. So it's not. It was just this, this combination of everything. What's going on here? The passage continues. Verse 14. Jesus found a young, young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on the donkey's colt. As it is written. John is making all sorts of Old Testament connections and references here. See, this whole story is only four verses in the book of John. And in these four verses, two are Old Testament references, the psalm and now this prophecy. Look, John is like, look, people, see? See, look at the signs. Go back to this prophecy in Zechariah. I'm going to spell it out for you. He writes it all out. Remember, remember what it said? Zechariah 9.9 says, let's go there and read what it actually says. He's like holding our hand. I will tell you what it says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's the passage. That's the prophecy in Zechariah that John is quoting for us here. Uh, in John chapter 12, Zechariah had prophesied that their messianic king would come just like that, riding on a donkey. Jesus coming on a donkey, it was not a coincidence. They had been waiting. And what does it say when they would see that sight? What do you do? It says rejoice. Not only rejoice, it says rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly because your king is coming to you. Rejoice greatly. See, see your king, your king comes to you. Rejoice. Now, when you think of the circumstances where they were in when Jesus arrived during that Passover, not only that they were in that memory of pain and mourning and death and bondage and fear and darkness, not only that, 
but the Romans were most likely surrounding them at that time because it was such a large gathering of Jews that was scary for them. They wanted to keep control of things. They're like, hey, send reinforcements. They were literally surrounded. surrounded. They were oppressed. They had been in that circumstance for a very long time. And the rejoicing greatly was because they knew the prophecies. They had that memorized and they were dying to see that happening. They had been waiting. They had been waiting for so long. And can we just take a moment to acknowledge the state of their hearts? Because I think it's too easy for us to just uh, skip over and not understand the gravity and the depth of their oppression and of that time of waiting. I personally have such compassion for every time who is waiting, for, for everyone who is waiting, because waiting is not easy. From the youngest kid to the oldest person, my youngest son, when he has to wait for anything, oh boy, that's not pretty to watch. When we're having a conversation and he wants to say something and he's like, and the hand goes higher and then it's like, and he starts making noises because it's so hard to wait from the silliest things to the greatest things, it is not enjoyable because we don't have control. There is room for doubt. It's painful. Sometimes we, uh, it, there's anxiety in the waiting. There's questions in the waiting. These people, they had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. They had been waiting for so long. And I know a lot of you are here today also waiting, maybe waiting for the fulfillment of that promise, waiting for a phone call, waiting for a medical result, waiting for a job opportunity, waiting for guidance, waiting for your child to go through healing or something difficult that they're wrestling with. In a lot of these situations that we have very little to no control over, how do we handle that discouragement, the exhaustion, the frustration of waiting? But they had rehearsed. And when they saw Jesus, they knew exactly what to do. It is time to rejoice. It is time to rejoice greatly because I have been waiting. I had been waiting. And now it is finally here and I'll rejoice and I'll rejoice greatly because my King has come to me. But the circumstances that they were in, notice that they were still the same from the minute before. Jesus arrived, but Rome was still the power over them. Like nothing really had changed in this scenario. They didn't start praising Jesus because suddenly life was better, because suddenly their problems were gone. 
everything was still there. But they start praising, even though the circumstances were the same. They start praising, not because their troubles uh, all had vanished, but because their king had arrived. The king was here, and they start to celebrate. Now, this was not a plastic celebration of fake smiles or anything like that. This is legit joy, because here's, here's how we know it. Biblical joy and rejoicing and celebration, it's not dependent on the circumstances changes, on the circumstances uh, shifting. That is, uh, biblical joy is honest about the pain. And when we're talking about the feasts and the praises here, I'm not at all suggesting that you would sweep all the hardships that you're going through because we're called to praise. So let's pretend that none of this is there. That is not what we're talking about. Because true joy and rejoicing and celebrating doesn't ignore the pain in order to exist. They were still in the middle of it, as praise shouldn't ignore the pain to exist either. True joy moves toward the conflict. And we see the truest expression of praise when you're brave enough to move toward that pain and that conflict in you. You don't need to dismiss your struggle or to skip your praise either. And we see this dual reality in the, in the song that they sing. So look what they say, because they say, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There are two parts of what they shout. The first thing that they shout is Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, deliver us. Please, I beg you, I pray, help. That's what Hosanna means. There is integrity in their praise because they confess the place where they were in. They confess that they need help. They start their praise toward Jesus by confessing, I need you, help me, I'm desperate. They cry out. It's that song of despair. They didn't pretend that everything was fine. That's the first line of their song. They were literally remembering, they were in the middle of the, the, the remembrance of their past suffering. It was Passover, while being in the midst of that very real oppression around them. When you see them partying away, remember that they were not ignoring the suffering around them. They were well, well aware of this and they cry, Hosanna. Hosanna is the shout of the oppressed. They represent the marginalized. That was the heart of the voiceless, the pain of the exploited. They let that truth all out. Hosanna, Jesus, help me. True biblical joy comes out of these places of moving toward what's hurting. 
when you feel powerless, when you face the challenges of, of sickness, of broken relationships, of betrayal, of disappointment. And my heart breaks in thinking of so many conversations that I've had with you guys, and I know the things that are happening that are not easy, unmet expectations or hurt or grief or death or heartaches and so many situations where we feel just like this, oppressed and powerless. Our truest expression of praise comes when we're able to be honest and step into this place of Passover and acknowledge what's not okay. The part two of their praise does come when they bless the Lord and they start blessing Him and declaring Him King. And it's beautiful and it's joyful and it's incredible and it is part of their complete package of praise, but we don't pretend that the hardship isn't there while we also don't forget that He is worthy no matter the circumstances. And sometimes we get caught up. We get caught up in this inability to express our praise because things are not okay. They don't feel good. They're not right. But we don't praise Jesus based on what's gone around us or what's in our heart. We praise Him because He's worthy and He's the King and He's coming and He's fulfilling the promise. And therefore, no matter what's going on, He is worthy of our praise. And I think there's this pendulum that we swing from one side to the other. Do you see how Hosanna is the morning is the experience of Passover. And bless you, Jesus, is over here. The joy of the Feast of Tabernacles and the feasts and their songs and their cry and their praise is all meshed together in this dance between the grief and what's hard and the Hosanna and the joy, the provision, the celebration. He is worthy, blessed is the King. And where are we in between these two extremes? I think for so many of us, maybe not every time, but at times, it is hard to actually come over here and confess that things are difficult, to sit in the pain. And I'm the first one to say, this is something I've been working on in my heart for a very long time, to be able to sit in the pain instead of just pretending it's not there because I want over here, you know, I want to praise. But it requires courage 
to step into this place and to cry. He requires humility. Our pride stops us from stepping into this place, acknowledging that we need help. At the same time, how often do we find ourselves here just so consumed by all that is hard and we're absolutely incapable of coming over here and praising Jesus because we're consumed by what's going on. Several years ago, um, my husband and I, we were in this journey that... Um, we really wanted to do some, you know, ministry together. We had all these dreams and this vision. This was like 10 years ago. And um, we moved somewhere else and we're doing all this training. And then all of a sudden, all the doors started closing. And it was really strange because it's not like we're trying to do anything that was, you know, something that God wouldn't approve. It was very much aligned with his kingdom and his heart. And, and we had all these big dreams and desires, but things were just not flowing. And it got to this point where we had to give up. And what it meant at the time was that we had poured all our finances in it. Like we had, we had zero dollars in our bank account. Like we had given our all and it didn't work. And we're like, oh my God gosh, what is happening here? I need to come over to this side because this is where we were. We're like, God, what is going on? And things were very disappointing. My heart was broken. I was lost. I was confused. For a period of a month, I think I was just crying every single day, not knowing what was going on. But in that place of confusion and pain and heartbreak, I started to try, what would it look like to praise Jesus over here? What does it look like to bring our praise to the place of pain? And a super coincidence that Michael Brimer's uh, brother, David Brimer, is the one uh, who wrote that song, um, You're Worthy of It All, You're Worthy of It All. From, for, from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. That song had been released that year, and that was the soundtrack of my life. And every day when things were so hard, and I did not want to give up on my dreams and heart desires, I would sing that song, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. From you are all things, to you are all things. You deserve the glory. It hurts, Hosanna, but I praise you. I confess this is so hard, but I do want to step over here and praise you, Jesus. And those were the most... Uh, they were the deepest experiences of praise and worship that I ever had in my life because they were so brutal and so honest and so raw, but so real. And there's something about experiencing Jesus in that place. 
Now remember to swing the pendulum to both sides. It's important that we celebrate both. And look how beautiful it is that God celebrated these two parties. He celebrated the party where you do mourn and grieve. That's part of healthy praise. And he, he instituted the party where you praise him and you rejoice greatly. Rejoicing greatly and experiencing the pain is our entire expression of praise. It is okay to cry Hosanna. Maybe some of you need to remember that tonight. It is okay. And it is also, some of us need the encouragement to come over here and have that courage to rejoice. It requires courage. We need to be brave enough to cry Hosanna and to bless Him and see the things we can be grateful for today as part of our praise. All of these feasts were the rehearsals of what were to come. And we see here in this triumphal entry, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the combination of it all, the Passover context, the ritual of tabernacles, the Hosanna and the blessed are you, Lord, all pointing to Jesus. And John is writing his account of this uh, story. Like he's saying, do you remember? Do you remember the feasts that you have been celebrating all along for all these years? Here you go. Do you remember all the prophecies? Do you remember Zechariah? Here you go. Do you remember all the Psalms and the anticipation? Here it is. It's all here. Remember the freedom from slavery, the provision in the desert, the living water coming from the Lord. It is all here. This is who Jesus is fulfilling all the things that they had been doing for so long. Now, of course, today, for us looking back, it's very easy to identify, um, connect the dots, right? It's always easier looking back. But for them, they weren't necessarily making all uh, these connections. Um, they did understand what was happening, but not the fullness of what was happening. Here's what verse 16 says. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written, these things had been written about him, and that these things had been done to him. John is showing, see, all of this had been written. They didn't understand the fullness of the promises of God. Only after Jesus died, they connected the dots, because at this time here, they were actually crying out for a literal king. They were hoping for a political king that would uh, save them for that, that immediate problem, that urgent, the immediate fix, the temporal. That's what they had in mind while Jesus had in mind the eternity. Now, why does this matter? Because although Jesus knew that people were hoping for something else, that he had greater plans than what they were thinking, and yet he said nothing. 
You read this passage, what did Jesus say? He didn't say anything in response to the crowd. Jesus did not uh, uh, judge their limited understanding. He didn't correct them like, oh no guys, sorry, that's not exactly what I came to do. He didn't do that. He didn't stop to, to teach them something. He accepted their worship. In that time, what mattered were their hearts. And Jesus saw their hearts and Jesus heard their cry and Jesus didn't say a word. You know what he did? He sat on the donkey. He spoke their vocabulary. He's like, yeah, you're right. I am who you're waiting for. Jesus meets them where they were at. He sees their hearts. He sees them and he accepts their worship in that moment by sitting on that donkey, by confirming the prophecies, by saying nothing. He said everything. He affirmed their pursuit. And this is amazing because how often do we do the same thing? How often we're praying for things and God is like, wait, have something else in mind? But he meets you where you're at. How often we just want the temporal. We want the right now. We want the urgent. We want the quick fix. Come on, Jesus, help me out here. We want, we want this right now because this is what we can't see. We can't even blame them, them or, and we can't blame us. This is all we can see. And Jesus won't judge you. He will meet you where your heart is at. And in that place, the praise comes. In this um, receiving Jesus' heart of that same heart of compassion, the same movement toward us in our cry, in our praise as well as he did with those people in that day. Here comes the king. Here comes the king. How do we respond? How do we respond to the fact that God is here? How do I approach him in the midst of what's going on in my life? What's going on inside my heart? What's going on around him, around me? How is how our hearts connecting with this experience of praising Jesus? God established these feasts so that his people, so that they would regularly practice uh, thanksgiving and hope and praise so that they wouldn't forget what he had done. And that applies to us as well. As children of God, how amazing would it be for us to start applying this party theology in our hearts and intentionally take time, intentionally take time to regularly look back and celebrate and exercise gratitude to practice this healthy praise, this healthy rejoicing. I have tried to do a few things that are so simple, but so impactful with my family. I think the calendar year helps us get into rhythms and 
for New Year's, we have for many, many years, we sit down as a family and we just take the pictures out, which I go like this as if it's albums. They're not albums anymore. It's like this. And we look through the pictures of that year and we remember, wow, remember that thing. Remember that sweet memory we had. Remember that thing that God did. Wow, that thing was actually really hard. Wow, look how far we've come. It is such a beautiful celebration, a, a ritual of year after year, looking back, taking time to look back and celebrate. That cultivates our hearts of praise. That cultivates this, this gratitude. And as we're in this pendulum of, of grief and gratitude, exercising this will nurture that heart of praise inside of us. Obviously, for every birthday party, there are balloons. <laughs> there's joy, there's life. And we think about the big picture journey of our lives. Every birthday, think about all the milestones, all the things that you've been through, all the places you can look back from your childhood and see either the blessings of God or very, very hard things that you went through but he carried you through and you're here today and look how far you've come. Feasts of remembrance and gratitude that produce this praise and this rejoicing greatly that we're called to do. How are we doing in our expression of praise if we're honest? What would it look like for us to approach our King even today as we enter now into a time of worship, with praise, with joy, with songs, with dance, to praise Him in faith, to praise Him in faith, even when circumstances are still the same, to cry out and worship team, you can come here if you're around, because it is time for us to celebrate that our King comes to us, no matter what you're going through, even during the Passover, we can reach and bring that palm branch into our times of mourning and celebrate in faith. Let's rejoice greatly in the Lord today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. You praise you. We praise you. You are good. You're worthy. Holy Spirit, help us to open our hearts to exercise our songs of praise today. Give us the courage to cry out, Hosanna, in times of despair. And give us the courage to step into places of praise because you're worthy. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Amen. I hope today you leave this message feeling inspired. Um, if you want to talk to somebody, maybe this message brought some stuff up um, and you want to pray with somebody, talk to somebody, we would love to do that. And we have people available um, anytime. If you go onto our website, there's a chat button. You can talk to somebody right there. So we hope you guys have a great day.